I'm going to show a, a picture, and I want to know if any of you uh, remember this 1970s classic. Anybody have one of these? Yeah, let me tell you a story about the English racer, right? This is like the most uncomfortable bike ever invented. But back in the day, it was cool, and everybody had one, and I wanted one. Now, I had two older brothers, and here's the challenge. My oldest brother got the bright blue English racer 10-speed. This is just a single speed. This is nothing, right? So the next brother came along, and it, uh, by the way, we had to save up for all this stuff. My brothers and I had a lawnmowing business, so ever since I can remember, I was pushing behind a lawnmower, trying to make money to earn whatever so I could buy whatever. So the second brother comes along and he goes, oh, okay, you got a 10-speed, huh? I'm getting a 15-speed. Yeah, anybody remember the 15-speed? By the way, has anybody been ever to able to pedal that 15th gear? It's like, yeah, no way. I tried it once. I, I pulled something. I, I, yeah, it didn't work. The only way you can do that, I'm pretty sure, is like a 45-degree downhill and then shift the gear and maybe, right? But my, uh, my second brother who had the 15-speed also was a bit of a speed demon and got the worst road rash I have ever seen <laughs> because he tried to get the 15th gear and hit just a small bit of sand. It was a spectacular wipeout. Um, I almost threw up. But anyway, <laughs> it was gross. But he recovered, and, and so now it's my turn, right? I'm saving up, and i got, I got to get this, this English racer. I didn't know if they made a 20 speed or not, but whatever. I was saving money. But here's the challenge. You may have noticed that I'm not the biggest person around. And so when I tried to get on the 10 speed, my legs wouldn't reach the pedal. No matter how low I set that seat, could not extend all the way down to the pedal, right? And so the only other choice was to jump off the seat, and you know what happens when that, yeah, it's not good. So that didn't happen, but then I made this discovery. It's like, wow, I, don't, I can't remember the size of the tires. Do any bicycle enthusiasts know the size of that tire? 26. That makes sense. Okay, so 26-inch tire. I found a 10-speed, bright blue, with 20-inch tires. So I, I went to my dad and I said, hey, I want to buy this, this bike. And he's like, ooh, that's a small one. I know, but it fits me. Goes, well, let's think about this for just a second. You're, you're going to grow. You, you may not be confident, but you're going to grow. And what happens then? You've got this little bike that you can't use anymore or you don't want to use. No, but i got, I got to have it now. I want it now. i got the money. I've saved it up. And he's like, okay, look, it's your money. Do your thing. And so I went and I bought my... 20-inch, 10-speed bike. And it lasted for about a week before I got out in front of somebody and said, why are you riding a mini bike? Why, why? And for those of you who know my history, uh, my, my call sign growing up was Mouse, uh, because I had these buck teeth and uh, ears that stuck out and, and wasn't the largest person, so Mouse was the nickname. So they called that the Mouse Mobile. Right? This, was my, this was my childhood. <laughs> So they, they started making fun of the mouse mobile. Well, I didn't want to ride it anymore. I would only ride it at dark or whatever else. And yeah, darn it, don't you hate when your parents are right? You know, it's like he knew that that was going to be a source of angst. He knew that that probably wouldn't last. But now I was stuck with this 20-inch bike. And it wasn't like you could go out on eBay. Yeah, that eBay didn't even exist. We weren't even on eBay at that time. We haven't gotten that far, right? So there was no chance I was offloading this on anybody else. I was stuck. And what was worse is, I didn't have any money to buy a bigger bike when I finally did grow, because I 
save up again. It's like, mm, man, I hate that. My dad was right. My dad had wisdom. I could have listened, but what I really wanted was my heart's desire, and I was not going to be stopped. So I got my heart's desire, and it turned out my heart's desire wasn't so good. Maybe somebody knew something I didn't. Does that ever sound like you and God? I want my heart's desire, and I want it now. I don't know what your experience has been with this. Maybe that's been a certain job. I want this job. I want it now. I know it doesn't sound right, but I want that job because it'll give me status or pay or get me to where I want to be. And then you get in that job, and you find out that, ooh, it's not what it's cracked up to be. Maybe you've done this with a relationship. I want that guy or that gal. If I could only have that relationship, then everything would be rainbows and unicorns and roses. <laughs> and then you get that relationship and you realize it's not all that great. Then what do you do? Are you stuck? What happens? I mean, Garth Brooks even wrote a song about this called Unanswered Prayer. You better remember this? What was his unanswered prayer? Anybody remember? The girl. The girl that got away, right? And if he's looking at this whole relationship, how it would have panned out years later, he goes back to his hometown and sees this girl, and he's like, thank God for unanswered prayers, yeah? <laughs> she turned out to be, no. And she's probably thinking, thank God for unanswered prayer. That guy's a bozo, right? You know how it goes. But unanswered prayers is, uh, Garth Brooks made a lot of money off of unanswered prayer. You know how I feel about understanding. There's always an answer to prayer. Just sometimes that answer is no. But regardless, he wanted that heart's desire, and he didn't get it. He calls that unanswered prayer. I might call that God's grace and wisdom. So as we go into our, our session today, I want to go into Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom. Let me set the stage a little bit. Proverbs chapter uh, 5, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. I want to talk a little bit about the book of Proverbs for just a second because it's a book of wisdom. It is attributed largely to King Solomon, and King Solomon asked God for one thing as he came into his kingship. Anybody remember what that was? He asked for wisdom. And so he's often quoted as one of the wisest people and wisest humans that we know. If you follow through King Solomon's life, though, it doesn't really end up well, and it certainly doesn't set up the next generation for doing well. See, if only King Solomon listened to his own advice. He wanted what he wanted, and he wanted his heart's desire, and he ended up getting it. But then he didn't pass on that wisdom and that connection to God to the generation that followed. And it took less than one generation before the, everything that he had built split right in two. But as he writes these words of wisdom, this particular chapter is written as a father speaking to his son, granting wisdom, passing on the hard-won wisdom that the father has earned to his son, so his son doesn't make the same mistakes. And so that is the spirit uh, in which we approach today's text. And here it is. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. These are the words of God. They are for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. Notice the totality of this verse. There's no percentages here. It's all in or nothing. Look at this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, 
submit to him or acknowledge him, depending on what your translation says. There are no percentages here. So we go back now and we look at what trusting in the Lord means. Trust is that sureness that it will be good. Trust is, I know this person, I can rely on them. Trust in God says, he has a plan, it is good, and I can be a part of that plan. But here's the interesting thing when we talk about trust and we talk about God. You know, the, the people that I talk to that have fallen out with God and have problems trusting God, you know what the most common reason is? They didn't get the desires of their heart. Now, think about that. It's not that God didn't do something that he said he would do. It's that he didn't do what I wanted him to do. There's a, a small but subtle difference there that we need to, to make sure that we understand. It's not about giving me what I want. It's about his will. So if you remember nothing else from today's sermon, here's your bumper sticker. It's not about want. It's about will. That's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. But it's necessary because who else is going to have the goodness that that requires? Who else is going to have the wisdom that knows that plan far out? And here's the other thing. You may not even see that goodness in your lifetime. If you read any of the stories of the great people in the Bible, the ones that are written about, many times they didn't get a chance to see God's handiwork. They saw pieces of God moving, but they never saw the end result. Imagine being Moses and going through everything that he went through, freeing the people, dealing with these people in the desert for 40 years, and what a pain that must have been, only to say, you will not cross into the promised land. Even go all the way back to Abraham. You're going to be the father of... There's going to be so many descendants. There'll be as many as the stars. But you'll never see that. You'll be long gone before that. I think one of the problems that we have, especially as, as North Americans, is that we're not very good at playing the long game. We're not willing to plant a tree that we'll never see the shade of, even though we know that in future generations they'll benefit from that. That's the connection I'd like to make with you this morning. Let's not just think about the here and now. Let's think about God's plan. Let's not just think about small things that we can accomplish in a, a puny little human lifetime. Let's think about great plans that God can only accomplish in God's time. And as we hand ourselves over to that, we get a whole new appreciation of what God's got in store, and we can trust Him. Hebrews eleven thirteen is... Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is called sometimes the Hall of Faith. It's, it recounts everybody that has been famous all the way back to Abraham and talks through all these things. But I just wanted to read one verse out of Hebrews 11. And it's verse 13. Listen to this. It says, All these people, all these people who trusted God, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. All these great people who we think have it all together. Think, oh, well, if I was Abraham and God talked to me, I would be happy. I would be secure in my faith. Think about that. If I was Abraham and God said, uh, go. Go where? Uh, that way until I tell you to stop. Okay. Oh, by the way, I'm uh, way past AARP age. I have amassed a fortune, and I know all these people in Fulcher, and you're asking me to go that way until you say stop. 
and you promise me that there's going to be generations as many as the stars, but I never get to see that? What's in this for me? And you start to see where we have trust issues. It's not about want. It's about will. So we got to have that long view. We've got to play the long game in all of this. And the other thing is, is to not lean on our own understanding. This is the heart's desire at its best because we're not stupid people. We're pretty intelligent people. We're not incapable. We're, we're capable of vision. We're capable of planning things. We're capable of knowing what's right and what's wrong and what to ask for. But we're not as capable as God. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, he says this. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know what I say to that? Thank God. Because I don't have to rely on my puny understanding, my limited focus, my short-term gain. Rely on the God of the universe who sees all, knows all, and has a plan. And it's a good one. So let's not lean on our heart's desire. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Not some of your ways. Not, I'll give you all my ways except this one. This is the one I want to control. But like I said, there are no percentages here. Trust God 90% of the time. And in 95% of your ways, acknowledge Him. No. It's 100% or it's nothing. And if it's not 100%, we open the door to stray off into a direction that is not going to end well. That might look good at the start, but it doesn't end well. Rarely ends well. So lean not on our understanding, but trust the one who knows everything. In all our ways, acknowledge him. So notice that this isn't just about trusting God. This isn't just about feeling assured. This is right action. Remember, we talked a few weeks ago about God's wisdom. The result of God's wisdom is right action. It's never meant just to be an academic exercise. It's never meant to be a private conversation between you and God. It's meant to move us in a direction that brings Him glory, that builds His kingdom. Right action comes from a right God who has all-knowing wisdom. Uh, you may be thinking at this point, Bill, I, I thought this was a series on prayer and, and the goal of prayer. It is. Because where does right action come from? Right action comes from knowing God. How do we know God? Um, we study and we talk to God. And more importantly, we listen to God. If you look at this word, uh, acknowledge, there's a word inside the word. I love these things when it comes out like this. Acknowledge. There's a word inside the word. What's the word inside the word? No. I thought someone was going to say ledge. I'm on the ledge. No. No. <laughs> no. You have to know God in the way that we know God best. Yes, you can study about it, but it sometimes just gets to the head. But when you pray and when you listen and you hear God's voice, something changes here. And when something changes here... In the heart, just like this wisest human on, on earth said at, under God's guidance, this changes everything. You are moved to action. The heart in, in 
in ancient times was the center of all things. It was your control center, if you want to say that. So once again, there are no percentages, there are no seasons. In this season I will listen to you, but in this season I will not. Uh, I will give you 90%, but not the last 10%. No. It's all things. It's your control center. It's basically complete surrender, if you want to look at it that way. Rich Mullins has a, a great quote. He says, We never understand what we're praying, and God, in his mercy, does not answer our prayers according to our understanding, but according to his wisdom. Amen. And you know what I say to that? Amen. Absolutely. Because if I got what I asked for, pretty sure that would be hell. But when he gives me what he knows is best, well, that's a slice of heaven. Now, let me, let me dispel any, any uh, naivete here. Uh, the, the way that we have to do this is, is by praying all in. And when you pray all in, it's like, okay, God, here's what I think I want, but I'm open. Let me know your will. And by the way, may your will be done. The ability to surrender, and, and in that process, lead to right action. A lot of times when I pray, I will pray for something, and I will pray mostly for a, a revelation. A, let me hear you, God. Let me see you, God. Let me see where you're moving, and then give me the courage to follow. Because I don't want to beat around the bush, Lord, sir. I want to tell you just like it is. This can be tough. A lot of times we pray for comfort, and when we're out of our comfort zone, we think God's not with us. Have you read this book? Anybody who's written about was out of their comfort zone, and God was with them. In fact, God then brought them out of their comfort zone. Because that's where growth happens. That's where kingdoms get built. God's kingdom gets built. Don't assume that this prayer that we pray, don't assume that the goal of prayer is our comfort, or even our wants. It's about His will. Now, if you trust God, if you know God, you know that this is a good thing because he has our best interest in mind. And it is going to end well. But it might be tough in between. So we have to be bold in our prayer. We have to be all in. We have to be all in in that right action. When God puts something on your heart and says, do this, man, don't do it at your own peril. And worse than that, don't do it at our peril. Because if God is calling you to do something and you are a part of a community and you don't do that, the whole community will suffer. That's the bad news, but here's the good news. If God calls you to do something, no matter how ridiculous it might sound, no matter how impossible it might sound, if you follow through, God will use that and bless not only you, but your entire community. I'm convinced. Maybe you've seen examples of this. Those of us who have a few more trips around the sun, you've probably seen this, both one way or the other. But we've got to be all in. There's no percentage. There's no season. It's just all in. Learn that God when he asks for everything. Who does he think he is, God? Now, he's no stranger to this, because you would think that prayer uh, should comfort me, prayer should give me what I want. Anybody know what this scene is? Yeah, this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Anybody remember his prayer there? Yes, exactly. God, if there is any way that we can do this, I'm paraphrasing, let this cup pass from me. Don't let me go to the cross. 
Was his prayer answered? Yeah, the answer was no. It doesn't say that in Scripture, but you can infer by the fact that he says, nonetheless, thy will be done. And he goes to the cross. What part of that is comfortable? What part of that is what Jesus wanted at that moment? What part of that is even just? As you look at the process that he went through to get there, none of it. But how do you explain that? Because God knew what he was doing. God knew that that had to happen for there to be true justice, for there to be true love, for there to be a plan that would bring us all. The reason that we're sitting here today is that Jesus didn't get what he wanted. He got the Father's will. And he wanted the Father's will more than what he wanted for himself personally. And I pray that I would be that way. See, it turns out that Dad knew what he was talking about. That was my first experience with ignoring wisdom. I would love to tell you that that's my last experience with exploring. <laughs> However, just this morning, <laughs> I still struggle with this, and I struggle with you. If you are doubting your ability to listen to this wisdom, if you're doubting your ability to be all in in prayer and all in in right action, man, you're in good company, but let's do this together. Let's support one another. Let me say, if we're hearing God this morning, let me hear from you. Let me ex experience what you're experiencing. Let me support you in that, and vice versa, whatever that is. Because if God's in it, it's going to be good. I also experienced my first taste of mercy in that bicycle process. Because as I struggled to make more money to buy a bigger bike, I realized this is a losing proposition. But by that time, my oldest brother turned 16, and he got a car. So he did not need his bicycle anymore, because that was not cool. And so I offered to buy it from him. He quoted a price. I said, that's not much better than what you paid for it. Come on, man, give me a break. And, and I had a feeling that my mom got involved behind the scenes there, because the next thing I heard from my brother was, you know what, just, just ride whenever you need it. No charge. That's how I know mom was involved, right? There's no way my brother was going to do that. But that was grace. In that same experience, I, I experienced what it was to ignore wisdom and face wrath, and yet get mercy, something I didn't deserve, something I couldn't pay for. But I got a really cool bike that was bright blue. It had 10 speeds. I remember that. How do we incorporate this? Well, this is a series on prayer. And like I said, we don't just talk about it. We do. So what I want to offer you is a Wesleyan covenant prayer. It was first penned by John Wesley back in the day. And I'm going to throw it up on the screen. Sorry for the eye check. But uh, if you can read that, why don't you just pour through that for a second. And then I'm going to pray it. If you'd like to pray it out loud with me, you're welcome to do that. But a prayer series where we don't actually pray seemed weird to me. So take a look at it for just a second, and then we'll pray this together. If there are parts of this that you just can't pray, you can skip those parts today. But you can't skip them forever. God knows. God knows your heart. So take this prayer with you. It'll be up on the website this afternoon. 
Pray it regularly until you can really pray it like you mean it. And I guarantee you, it'll make a difference in your life. So if you are so inclined to pray with me out loud, join me in prayer. If not, just enjoy. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you, or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And now the covenant, now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. 